I'd like to begin this morning by reviewing. We've traveled for miles together with Jonah. So what I'd like you to do is repeat after me, and I'll know that you've been tracking with me so far. I am human. I make mistakes. I sometimes sin. I can be wrong. I'm not always bright. Oh, wait a second, that didn't sound right. I'm not always right. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Now, what we've done in that little activity is we have rehearsed our relationship with Jonah in that we are like him, or we can be like him. You see, the prophet Jonah, as we've been reading through uh, this little book, uh, had been called by God to visit the city of Nineveh and to preach, to preach against their sin and to call them to repentance. But Jonah, Jonah in his wisdom, uh, disagreed with God. He disagreed with his redemptive plan to the people of the city of Nineveh. And so he, he ran away. He took a Mediterranean vacation cruise. It turned out to be the worst thing he could have done because that cruise ran into a terrible, terrible storm that threatened to sink the ship, drowning him and all the sailors and the loss of all the cargo. And in the end, uh, Jonah uh, ultimately confessed his sinful actions to the captain and to the crew, and his simple solution to this whole mess was, toss me overboard, which, when you think about it, sounds kind of crazy. And the crew probably thought that too, because they did everything in their power to rectify the situation, to rescue the crew. Uh, they already tossed the, the stuff overboard that they were carrying all the cargo. And in the end, what they ultimately did is they tossed Jonah, as he suggested. But uh, in the, the storm in the sea, Jonah did not drown. You see, God had other plans for Jonah. He had other plans for Nineveh. And so a giant fish, a giant fish swallowed Jonah without any chomping, which led to Jonah having spare time in the belly of the fish to offer some prayers to God. And uh, we find that there, this prayerful attitude uh, reflects maybe some further thought on his part. And he said things like, in my distress, I called to you, and you brought me up from the pit. Now, note next uh, this act of grace by God. And the Lord commanded the fish, and the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, a little biology information here, and I didn't know this until I read this little book, that fish actually vomit. I, I didn't know that, let alone that they could do projectile directive vomiting, like vomiting a person up on dry land. Which, if you think about it, makes absolute sense, because who would want to live, swim, and breathe in your vomit, right? That'd be like peeing in your swimming pool, you know? And so we find that nature takes care of itself in an appropriate way. But uh, as we continue with Jonah, what we find is that he is a case study in forgiveness. God's forgiveness, our forgiveness, human forgiveness, and the problem of an unforgiving heart, which is what Jonah was struggling with. And as we read through this, it appears to me at least that Jonah is kind of mad at the world, mad at everything. He's even mad at God. And he's pretty sure he's got better ideas. He'd rather see Nineveh get whacked, not forgiven. And to prove the point, 
he took off and ran toward Tarshish instead of heading toward Nineveh, which, as I showed you on that beautiful map that made my wife laugh at me, um, was totally in the opposite direction. It was more than twice the trip. So, like others, when you think about this idea of forgiveness, um, I've discovered when I'm honest with myself that I'm not as much like God as I want to believe I am on certain occasions. And so, if I put myself in God's position where he is with Jonah here, um, I might have fired Jonah. I, I might have given him uh, free leave, uh, taken away his preaching license, and uh, sent him off to sell vacuum cleaners or something, you know, it's useful. And if I'd been God, I might have had the fish chew before he swallowed, which your parents always tell you is a good thing to do. And that would have solved the Jonah problem right there, and it would have been a much shorter book, one chapter. Um, or if I had been God, I, I might have called upon a more obedient prophet from the get-go. You know, being God, I would have known everything and would have chosen to go the easier route. But God, our God, our God is a God of second chances. He believes in us. Now, thinking about Jonah particularly, as he was called to preach to this one particular city, Jonah had issues with the people of Nineveh. He didn't have a problem with the city. He had a problem with the people of Nineveh. And so that's why he ran away rather than preach salvation. Jonah was willing to face a life-threatening storm at sea, end up as fish food, and finally find himself on a shore, perhaps near where the adventure had begun. We read in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on the dry land, continuing in the chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give. Now, I am convinced, and I hope you are, that second chances, when they are made available, ought to be grabbed with both hands and taken advantage of because second chances aren't always available. Sometimes our harsh words can never be forgiven because they can never be forgotten by some people. Illegal behavior stains our permanent record. Infidelity always leaves damage as the result. And we can go on and on, but sometimes the things that we do set us up for ongoing problems and they become, well, just painful. And so if a second chance arises, as we read here, we should always take that. But we also need to know that there is true freedom from our wrongs, from our sins, from our mistakes, even recovery from our wounds and scars when we are forgiven. Because forgiveness is an actual setting free, a releasing from the baggage of what we have done or what we have caused. And sometimes it's up to us to receive, to accept the forgiveness. Some people believe that their sins are too big to be forgiven. And so these kind of people often dismiss the words of forgiveness that are offered toward them. Now, some people confess, but they don't let themselves off the hook. Forgiveness can also be extended to ourselves. I need to let myself go. And we also need to remember that forgiveness involves both giving and receiving. And in our study passage, Jonah was offered a second chance. It was given to him. Go and preach. 
Now, that's not just Jonah, but the Bible tells all of us that we have all strayed. We read that in Isaiah 53, that like sheep, we have wandered away from the safety that our shepherd gives to us. The Bible also tells us that we have sinned, Romans 3. We have done that which is wrong, or we have not done that which is right. But second chances are often realized when we confess our sins, our wrongs, our wandering. And when we run to the cross of Christ, we read, John wrote this in 1 John, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in these moments when we know that we have sinned, when we know that God is about second chances and we recognize how to get there, it makes sense. Because grace is God's character. And grace is often His first response when we sin. He sets us up to receive His words so that we can then respond with confession and receive forgiveness, this release. And as we continue to read in this passage, no matter what we see Jonah doing, we need to keep our eyes on what God is doing. And I think there's at least five things that God's doing here. Love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, second chances. Now, Jonah becomes the message bearer of second chances. He got his, and he's to give to others. We notice in Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city, and he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Wouldn't you love it if that was the length of today's sermon? That was his sermon. That was his message. Now, I'm hoping that there were other words. But he said, 40 days more and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, Nineveh, we're told in this passage, is a very large city. It takes three days to see the sights. And so Jonah started in on his first day. And, uh, well, this city, it was a wicked city. It was known for its unrighteousness. It was the place to go if you wanted trouble or to get in trouble or to be part of trouble. And it had attracted God's attention for judgment. Now think back to the first verse of this book. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. You can almost um, picture the stench of their sin rising up and offended God's nose. Their behavior leads one to think that the punishment began with the harsh words that Jonah offered to them. There wasn't much option there. Repent or perish. And yet as the story unravels, we find that the people of Nineveh respond in the most unexpected way. And so, as we move forward here, I need you to pay attention because we're going to see something that we sometimes doubt could be possible in the lives of certain people because we know their sins. Why, why he's just so evil. There's no hope for him. Perhaps you've heard somebody say that about somebody. Or on other occasions, we don't want them saved. Why, she's so rotten and mean, there's really no place in heaven for that kind. And I've actually heard these words out of people's mouths 
if God lets them in, I'm not interested in going. An unforgiving heart. And we err in both accounts, whether we don't think they're worthy of being forgiven or they're too bad to be forgiven. We're still wrong because God's grace and mercy and love is bigger than any sin. And the text reveals the love of God fleshed out in a forgiveness that dwarfs the small hearts that see cases where forgiveness ought not to apply. So listen as I read, beginning in verse 5, how this second chance plays out. The Ninevites believed God, that is, they believed the message that Jonah was preaching. And they declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, and they put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth is kind of like burlap, rough, poorly woven material, and they wore that as a symbol of their humility, their contrition. Verse 6, And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he got up off his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust, on the ground. And then he issued a proclamation to be sent out throughout Nineveh. Now, think pre-internet. So he probably had criers running through the streets of the city with this message. By decree, the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. The king didn't want anyone to miss the message that Jonah had brought to the city. And so he sent out this proclamation. Now, whoever was in charge of the company that made sackcloth made a fortune because they sold everything in their inventory, because everybody, all the animals were covered with sackcloth so that they were then able to represent their contrition, their brokenness. Verse 9, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn His fierce anger so that we will not perish. So that we will not perish. City-wide Revival broke out. Everyone from the least to the greatest put on sackcloth, symbolizing their humility and their brokenness. And God granted a corporate second chance. He removed the threat that was headed toward Nineveh. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, that is, humbled themselves, and how they turned from their evil ways, and I don't know how God's able, well, I know how He's able to, He sees everything, but there was some kind of measurable behavior change that he responded in compassion and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And when you see that, that's pure grace. Because that's not what they deserved. And it was pure mercy. They didn't get whacked. Why? Well, compassion is one of God's responses to the self-inflicted wounds of the sinner. And we don't often think about that when we're sinning. We're hurting ourselves as much as the others because we're wounding our heart and separating ourselves from God. And grace and mercy are natural acts of a loving God. And the people of Nineveh learned this on the other side of their repentance and their confession. God spared their city, for which I'm sure the people... Celebrate. Now, 
If we were to fast forward a couple of books in the Old Testament to get to Nahum, we find out that they went back to their old ways and God wiped them off the planet. But that's another story. But here, they responded and received a second chance. And they celebrated. But not Jonah. It's at this point in the account that we discover that Jonah, the prophet, was not all that thrilled with what God was doing. He was not at all excited about the grace that God had pointed toward the city of Nineveh. God had observed this miracle as the people were broken by their sins. And as God relented of his intended crushing of them, of his destruction of Nineveh, being part of this successful altar call, a mass altar call, you would think that the preacher would be elated. But not Jonah. He was spitting mad. But you have to come back next week. We'll talk about that then. But for now, for a moment, I want to just think a little bit more about this concept of forgiveness. I want to think behind the forgiveness. And the first question is, why? Why forgiveness? Why is it needed? Well, sin. Sin separates us from God. And God sees that as a problem, even though you and I sometimes in the midst of our sin, we don't see that. God created us so that we can enjoy life together. He created us so that He can enjoy us and that we can enjoy Him. But in our sin and our brokenness, we are separated from Him. There is no enjoying one another. We are offensive. We are gross with our sin. And He can't be with us. And we're stuck in our sins, and sometimes we don't recognize we are, and we're separated from the source of life, the source of power and wisdom and guidance. As we think about sin, we need a definition. Sin is doing whatever God says is wrong. Or, sin is doing whatever God says is good that we should be doing. So sometimes it's an action, sometimes it's an inaction. We read in Isaiah, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own ways, and the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That our sin, this is the mark of God's holiness, is remedied by our sin having been placed on Jesus. And because of our sin, we all die. We read that in Romans chapter 3 and chapter 6. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one can say, I did not sin. And for the wages of sin is death. There are some things that are consistent. If you put your fingers on a hot frying pan on a stove, what are you going to say? Because the stove and the frying pan are? Yeah, that's pretty consistent. Now, there is a rare disease where you have no uh, feeling and you can burn yourself and not know that. But pretty much... That's a burn. And always, with sin, the wages is death. When we sin, we set ourselves up to die. When we continue to sin, we continue on the path toward death and destruction, which is our ultimate separation from God for eternity. And this, this sin-death relationship, it applies to every single human being. Now, I know each one of us can probably think of somebody, oh yeah, there she is. They are so perfect, you can't imagine them sinning. But the Bible says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, even my sweet grandma, who I can never imagine her doing anything wrong, especially while eating her apple pie. 
but she sinned too, and she was headed for death except for Jesus. And there is no, I'm just a little bit of a sinner, I'll be okay. We're either sin and we're dead, or we don't sin, which we can't do, and we're dead anyway. And so you and I and everyone else on this planet are caught just like the people of Nineveh were, caught in their sins, destined to death and destruction. But, but God, God and His love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and second chances. And that is the rest of Romans 6, verse 23. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Faith leads to forgiveness and forever life. Not death. Not destruction. And so here we are this morning, sinners, just like the people. Maybe we didn't get exactly the sins, but we're sinners nonetheless, just like the people of Nineveh. And so what are we to do about our sin? We're to do exactly what they did. We are to own our sin. I have sinned. I had you say that earlier. You said that earlier because you know that. Not simply because I said it, because I don't think you would have said something you don't believe. Except I did trick you on that. I'm not bright, thank you. Some of you are very bright. Honest. We need to confess our sins. You know, it's easy to say, Lord, I sin. But He needs us to confess the sins as best we know them. Because if we can't name them, then we might not even recognize them. So we own what we have sinned, we confess what we have sinned, and whether it is what we have done or what we have not done, those all need to be taken to the Lord. And then we trust. We trust the God who speaks. And He has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Ninevites, they trusted Jonah's message. They were to repent of their sins, and God would rescue them. They believed that message, and they were rescued on that occasion. And we are to trust Jesus, what He did on the cross and through the grave, to believe that that is enough, that that's what God has offered for us, and that's all we need to believe. You see, God, He's already done the heavy lifting. God released His Son. He sent His Son to come among us to be one of us so that He can stand in our place. And Jesus died on a cross carrying our sins. He died for each one of us as individuals. Not one of us was missed. And so when we confess, He forgives us. We simply need to lean in toward God and accept what He's done for us as we confess our sins and we are forgiven. Each one of us. Every single time. There's only one question I have for you this morning. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus?